Well, this morning we continue our walk through Hebrews. As Caleb has read, we'll be in 1 through 7, but really we'll isolate verse 7 this morning as we'll deal particularly with Noah. And remember, what we're looking at in Hebrews 11 here is a picture of endurance, right? So in chapter 10, he is calling the church, you have need of endurance. And so then he compiles this list of witnesses to speak of the faithfulness of God as sure and as solid. You can bank on God's trustworthiness. And so he compiles these witnesses of redemptive history and pile upon pile upon pile upon pile upon pile that testifies to this fact as he is encouraging you this morning that God is utterly faithful. He is utterly faithful. And I know that situations begin to kind of squeeze and cause difficulty and trauma in um, a myriad of ways. And so you have need of endurance in various capacities of your life that affect you spiritually and then the physical and uh, emotional and all of these different ways that can bog down your endurance. Here in this first century context, it is a physical set of persecution toward the church. And so whether you're there or whether you're here, God's people, as kind of Todd was describing there, in a context of the world within which you live, is a challenge, and it's against the grain. And so you have need, various points in time, sometimes more intense than others, but always a need for endurance. And so here he compiles this witness that this is nothing new for the people of God, yet God has always been trustworthy. And so as you would consider and rehearse the promises and provisions that he has made in the gospel for you, he has applied to you, he lives within you, he is utterly trustworthy. He will make continued provision. No matter circumstance, don't take your cues from the circumstances. But again, your faith is not in circumstance, it is in a person. That is what he's driving you to. And so he's showing you these lives that have lived this same exact way and proven out the faithfulness of God. And so for your sake, he then continues with his next witness he would call to account here is Noah. There are three things here this morning I want to kind of just zero in on together in our time. So there's three um, pieces here to the man Noah that I would like us to examine and learn from verse 7 and then certainly, I trust, see its application to our own lives as a need for endurance. Three of them. One, let's consider the portrait, the biblical portrait of Noah's faith. That's what we need to consider. So there's less, um, when you consider Abel, we looked last week or so at Abel, and you say, man, the story is very short in Abel and Cain there. What exactly is going on? What's been revealed to Abel? What does Cain know? How did the sacrifice go? What is actually at work? And here the writer sees this as a great evidence of faithfulness. So again, there's short data on Abel. Then we move to Enoch. Perhaps even less data on exploring Enoch is a man of faith. We see these short statements about Enoch and then this activity whereby God gathered Enoch and he is no more. But that's pretty quick and shortened to the point about Enoch. Yet this is a tremendous example. 
perhaps of what Enoch is foreshadowing of what God will do for all of his people, and that is deliver and save. And so we see this short but powerful picture in Enoch, a man of faithfulness. And yet here, we have more that we can consider in the biblical portrait of Noah. I mean, um, you know, hopefully we will kind of surrender, as Todd spoke this morning, we'll kind of surrender. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. I have not. But the man Noah, the movie or whatever that is and how exactly they have described the Nephilim of Genesis and the rock and mountain and clay people or whatever's going on in that film, whatever that is, Hopefully, what we're gathering and being renewed in our minds is the biblical portrait of who Noah is and what it is that God is doing at work in Noah, who is the centerpiece of the story, God's faithfulness to the man Noah. So hopefully, we can see perhaps a bit more biblical portrait of Noah's faith. Secondly, the next piece I want to consider out of one, the biblical portrait of Noah's faith, the second thing I want to consider with you is the content of Noah's faith. Again, we looked at faith um, not as this undefined kind of thing, but we've looked at faith and we've defined it as knowledge, assent, and trust. These are the three pieces that go in to make the faith pie. Here's this whole container, and it's these three ingredients, or we would see it broken down in these three distinctive aspects. That would be, again, knowledge, light in the mind. As Todd is saying, what is the source of that knowledge that our faith is feasting on? Knowledge in the mind, assent or persuasion in the man Noah, that he was persuaded. And then, again, it moves the heart and the will to trust. And we'll see that in Noah. So again, the biblical portrait of his faith, the content of his faith. And then the final piece this morning, three of them, the final one, would be the reward of Noah's faith. The outcome uh, of what we see Noah experiencing as a reward for his faith. So the first one, if we could jump right in, the very first piece from Hebrews eleven seven in the biblical portrait, there are two pieces here that we pull out and say that it is marked by the portrait of Noah's faith is twofold in the testimony of Scripture. Again, we have more data concerning Noah, so we can explore it a little bit. But if we say the two pieces that mark the biblical portrait of Noah's faith, they would be one, righteousness, two, boldness. This is a mark of the man Noah. His portrait of faith contained in the text of Scripture, you think of Noah as a man of righteousness and a man of boldness. Not because you want to, but because you are taught to. This is the biblical portrait of the man Noah in relationship to his faith lived before the face of God. Righteousness and boldness. Hopefully we can see that together. Go back to Genesis then and let's explore out exactly how that is the case. That Noah, a mark of Noah's faith that we are to receive and is to empower us in this very moment for endurance. What we see God do in Noah, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How will this empower my endurance as I consider the redemptive historical story of Noah Genesis 6, if you join with me as a mark of Noah's faith or the portrait of who he is as a man of righteousness, Genesis 6, you're familiar with all that's kind of transpiring here in the account with Noah, but I want to read the sequence that is very important for our understanding the rest of the narrative 
of the man of righteousness. I want to begin in verse 5. I'm going to read through verse 9, and we'll kind of put together the sequence of the parts. Verse 5, the biblical portrait of Noah's faith. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. You're very familiar with that, and we'll explore that just in brief here in a minute. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The biblical portrait of the man of Noah, verse 8. But Noah... Right? So, so you're there, I will blot out man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, I'm sorry that I made them, but Noah, major turn, shift, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Hem, and Japheth. Do you notice the sequence there of the portrait of Noah's faith? Destruction and an announcement of annihilation. That's it. It's over. Destruction's coming to the earth. But, narrative shift, Noah, enter in this man Noah. Noah did what? What is the description of Noah? He found favor. That is, if we keep the sequence together, Noah received grace. That's the statement. Here it is. I'm doing all of this, but Noah found favor. Notice, notice he, he didn't throw in verse 9, then verse 8. That is, Noah's a righteous man. He's blameless. Therefore, he found favor. It's not that sequence. It is not a works-rooted righteousness in Noah or in you. This is the narrative sequence. Death, 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 but Noah. Why? He was blameless. No, Noah, because he found favor. That's the sequence. Now, what then follows this work of sovereign grace in Noah What then follows? What then ought follow in the sequence of your narrative? Verse 9. Noah walked with God. There's the sequence. There's the gracious description. He was blameless. He loved the Lord. Why? Because he had found favor. That's how the gospel works. That's it. So here it is, Noah found favor, or grace, and that grace found expression in grateful obedience. That's it, that's the sequence of the gospel. Heidelberg, guilt, I heard, light went into the mind, thus saith the Lord to me, guilt, grace, gratitude. That's the sequence of the gospel. So it is, is the very beginning is this portrait of by faith.
faith. The man Noah, who is he? He is a man who had found favor by God's grace. And that favor then found expression in obedience. That's it. Will the gospel promote obedience? Yes, it will. It will, for its design is that the Lord does make the pronouncement, and so also does He perform the pronouncement He has made. You're forgiven. You are righteous. Oh, that's a pronouncement in time, and now it's all about me. No, that which he pronounces, he does also perform. He found favor, and he walked with God. It finds expression in obedience. That's the biblical portrait of a faithful man, of a faith-filled woman. It found favor. And it found expression in obedience. Consider also the second piece of the portrait of Noah's faith. So one is he is marked as a man of righteousness or a man of blamelessness. And it is not, therefore he found favor. He found favor, therefore it found expression in righteous obedience. Second portion is boldness. For this, we kind of have to go further forward or maybe to the Russell Crowe movie. This time... We'll go to Second Peter. So let's do that if we could go over to Second Peter to find the expression and fill in what might be missing there a bit in the Genesis narrative. We'll fill in rather with Peter's comments that are indeed inspired and without error. So Second Peter chapter 2 will help us fill in this biblical portrait. He also has reference in Ezekiel. Uh, a maid mentioned to the man of righteousness, a man Noah. But here, as we kind of zero in on the mark of Noah or the portrait of Noah's faith, and the second mark, one, of righteousness, two, of boldness, we find this characterization of the man Noah uh, there in Second Peter 2, verse 5. There's two statements that stand out to help fill in this portrait of what we are labeling a man of great boldness. Verse 5. If he did not spare, here Peter is addressing uh, the work of God in wrath that will be poured out on false teaching and those who lead astray. Verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah. Now, do you see the description here of Noah? A herald of righteousness, that is a preacher of righteousness. This is who he is, but he preserved Noah. Who is Noah? A preacher of righteousness. With seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So we're putting those two pieces together out of verse 5 to fill in this portrait of Noah and his faith. He is a man of boldness. That is, he's a preacher of righteousness to a world of ungodliness. We don't want to separate out that he is a preacher of righteousness without recognizing how against the grain Noah's faith was living. It wasn't like he was saying it to the seven others. He is preaching 
righteousness. He is a herald, a man of boldness. And we say boldness, how do we know it's bold? Because it's in the context of a world of ungodliness. No one was lining up to hear a good word from Noah. Yet, what we see of him, it didn't stunt his preaching. It didn't strip away his zeal. He believed. He had found favor. That favor found its flesh out point or its expression in obedience. And he preached righteousness in the context of ungodliness. Maybe he lived in a rough neighborhood. How about, as Peter describes, the ancient world at large? A difficult, indeed, a difficult context. And here is this man, Noah, who filled by the power of the Spirit, spoke by faith about righteousness that was to come and judgment that would follow. Do you think there were naysayers? I imagine that's fair for us to assume. A world of naysayers. And Noah was filled with boldness. One author comments this way, I thought it was worth mentioning. He says, his memory, as we consider from Noah all the way to Peter and the biblical revelation in between, he states this, Noah's memory was revered down throughout the centuries because of the boldness with which he challenged the unrighteous generation of his day to repent and put their faith in God lest they would see judgment and it would overtake them. His boldness was recognized throughout the history of the church as a man that stood in a very difficult context, utterly convinced that what God had said was true. This is the biblical portrait of Noah's faith. I think we need to make just a slight side turn here, just to fill out the picture of intensity here, by going back to Genesis quickly with me, just so that we can see just how bad... The picture was within Noah's generation. That is, the biblical description is significant here. Turn back to Genesis 6 with me just for a minute so we can really appreciate the sense of the man Noah, God's work in Noah. And Noah, that work, found expression in obedience. He was preaching righteousness. And it was in a very difficult situation. And this is why he's encouraging, you have need of endurance. Well, I'm the only one. No, you're not. There's a host of witnesses. They too needed endurance. And guess what? God was utterly trustworthy and faithful to their need for endurance in difficult situations and your need for endurance in difficult situations, no matter what the difficulty is. God is the same. So it's important to note just how difficult was Noah's situation. Because the Bible takes time here, Moses takes time here to really graphically depict just how bad it is so that you don't skim across it. So notice with me, if we're back in Genesis 6, notice just how difficult it was. That's why Noah's preaching was so revered throughout centuries because of this very description of just how difficult things were. Look at 6.5. We've already read it, but I'll just draw your attention to verse 5, and then we'll drop down to verse 11 also. Verse 5, for the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Here's Noah standing for boldness, standing for righteousness in this kind of context. 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Yeah, Noah, in this same context, was not receiving accolades or praise. Affirmations everywhere he turned. He was utterly convinced, however, despite the circumstances, that God is true. Look, drop down past this work of grace in Noah's life, the obedience that then followed as he preached and taught and stood for boldness. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. So just kind of consider, again, be a good reader here and consider just how graphic this really is. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Why? For the earth is filled with violence through them. Again, our tendency in hearing something like this and kind of looking back in these redemptive historical witnesses, so if we move from witness to witness to witness to witness for the sake of our current need of endurance, we can tend to be a bit, for whatever reason, revisionist in our view of what actually occurred in those people's lives. I think one element for why we'd be historically revisionist readers as we look back and we edit and we slice and we rework or we spiritualize or we don't join into the graphic detail of the text, one reason is because we tend as believers to have an allergy to boldness. And so as we would read something like the graphic depiction of this man Noah, our allergies kick in. And somehow we reshape or, or, or revise, edit strategically what that current situation for the man Noah really was like. Perhaps we would, as we're exhorted, to be bold, to be those who flesh out in expressions of obedience what God has performed in us. Allergies begin. Perhaps it is we would make statements as we read something like Noah or we check out with someone like Abel or Enoch or Abraham to come. We would say something like this. It must have been easier because of the complexity of our generation. It must have been easier looking at Noah. And so then we quickly move on. Or perhaps we add to ourselves because we have an allergy to boldness. Our tendency is to say something like, God must have spoken a more convincing word to Noah. So again, we can kind of revise how we, how we view God speaking to the man Noah. Or the culture within which he found himself didn't include Facebook, didn't include Twitter. Didn't include thorny social topics that affect our position it didn't have all that complexity. But I think we'd be wise to note from the depiction in Genesis, Noah did not live in a bubble. He didn't. It wasn't easier on him, less complex, to stand and be bold in what is utterly unseen. 
He was not free from ridicule. Noah didn't stand above marginalization. He didn't miss the arrows of persecution. Again, how do we know all that? Because, again, the description in 2 Peter is, here is this man who preached righteousness in the place of an ancient world of ungodliness. How bad was it? Moses said, it was bad. So I think it would be fair for us, again, as I had said, certainly it would be appropriate to consider that Noah was ridiculed. He was mocked for possessing what you're mocked for possessing. That is a blind faith. He too suffered ridicule for a blind faith that lacked sophistication. This is Mickey Mouse. It's not appropriate. It lacks sophistication. Right? It's not thorough. It lacks reason. Adequate reason for all that we see, all the science that we have. And I know many of you love science. Great. Great. I'm with you. Great. Keep going. Science. It lacks reason. Noah suffered ridicule for a failure to produce sufficient evidence to the jury of his peers. Oh, it was different. No, it's not. It's not. What is the common denominator? Noah and us need endurance. And God stands at the center as utterly trustworthy and able to provide. So I would suggest to each of us, Noah's faith was not blind. But again, as we saw last week, his faith saw brilliant colors through the light of God's revelation. His faith had eyes to see. Not by sophistication, not by just perfect reasonableness or sufficient evidences, but he saw through the light of God's revelation. And that is provided to each and every one of us as well. God's revelation is sufficient for our faith to have eyes. And to see what is unseen in such a manner as to be those who are fully assured. I am utterly convinced what God said he will do. How do you get so assured? How do you get so, so convinced? By feasting on what he said. My faith sees. So the second portion of considering the portrait from Noah's faith to the content of his faith then. Look at verse 7 if we go back to Hebrews 11.7 as we consider then from the portrait of a man of righteousness and great boldness. Standing as one who does see by the light of God's revelation. Not by sufficient physical evidences or ecstatic visions but by light of God's revelation. The content of Noah's faith then, consider verse 7 again, by faith, chapter 11, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of 
his household. Here again, I want to walk through this text, verse verse 7. I just want to kind of take a few of these propositions in order here and plug them into what we'd say by faith. What do we mean, again, by faith? But I want to say, well, what we mean by faith is that Noah had a sense of light in the mind, knowledge, assent, and trust. I hope these things are helpful to you as you consider what does it mean that Noah by faith did these things but there's a sense if we could take Noah's actions and all the statements here and plug it into knowledge assent and trust this would be a bit more accessible to us I hope so these three distinctives of faith in general I want to plug Noah's actions and the biblical portrait here of who he is into each one of them starting with the first step knowledge Notice there, by faith, Noah. Okay, so here is his faith. This sense of knowledge, this sense of assent or persuasion. He was persuaded by and he did trust in this, by faith. This is what we're saying about it. Being, and here it is, knowledge, warned by God concerning events yet unseen. What do we mean? Kids love it. They love this. Noah was warned by God. What does that mean? He heard God's word. There it is. Revelation was made known to Noah. Here's this knowledge category of his faith. There was light going into the mind. And it does, by way of this text, transfer into heat in the heart. But it doesn't skip light in the mind. It must go in. Noah was warned by God. He heard, thus saith the Lord. This is what I'm going to do. We saw it in Genesis 6. God said to Noah, I'm going to do this. Here's Noah standing, hearing the word. It's going into the mind. I now am intellectually aware. My mind has been made aware of what you have said. Revelation. Knowledge in the mind. Now notice what he was warned about. There are two of them of what he was warned about. Noah, with knowledge, was made intellectually aware of two particular events. Or as summarized as events as yet unseen. So here is the call to Noah's faith to rise up. Here is the the work of God in shaping Noah's faith. He hears the word, and now look at the content of that word concerning, this is what God warned him about, two events that are yet unseen. Well, in each one of them, number one, Noah was warned about an unseen flood of judgment. Now, again, consider what this would have been for Noah's faith in a very challenging context, in a world of ungodliness, in a world, or let's just shrink it to his neighborhood, a neighborhood of naysayers. And Noah is going to certainly appear to be ludicrous as an individual, not as in the rapper, as in an actual person. He would seem ridiculous. Because he's hearing a word of not Here's revelatory data that I am telling you, Noah. And guess what I'm going to tell you about? I'm going to tell you about an unseen reality like a flood of judgment. And I want you to act on it. 
that would appear to be utterly ridiculous. Secondly, and note heavily in your reading of this text the language of unseen, because he's hammering it. In verse 1, the apostle nails the, word, the words not seen, verse 1. He then continues to push you about endurance because you're saying, I, I want to I feel something. I want to observe something. I want to have a sense of security. He's driving home that you see by faith, not by sight of the physical. Verse 1, not seen. Verse 2, what is seen, visible. Drop down to verse 6 and he's hitting it yet again, unseen. The weight is placed upon. He's hearing these two events and they are yet unseen. No one has seen a flood cover the earth in judgment. When Noah then, as a herald or preacher of righteousness, makes that claim known, do you think people were receptive? Chances are not. And by the percentage of judgment that befell the entire world except Noah, it doesn't seem that those were receptive to Noah's proclamation of righteousness. So certainly Noah was running against the grain, embracing an unseen flood of judgment. The second piece was an unseen provision of salvation through building an ark. Now, Join with me. for so, so he's hearing these two, two things. God makes a revelatory word, an intellectual awareness to Noah. I am going to act this way. I'm going to bring a flood upon the earth and I'm going to destroy everything that's been made surrounding it. What kind of data does Noah have to rely upon in past historical events that that's probably likely to occur? None. All right, you can't say, well, I do remember the flood of 86. There is a chance that if it got worse, he doesn't have some sort of body of evidence to rely upon the probability and statistics of this coming true. It is yet utterly unseen. A call to his faith. And by the way, in that huge gigantic flood, I'm also going to provide salvation for you, the people of God, you and your family. I'm going to provide salvation for you. Okay? By building an ark. Okay, right. So let's plug it into historical context just briefly. And if, if geography does serve in the landscape of where this most likely did take place, he is far, far, far removed inland from any major body of water. If we were to take up all the writing on it and, and parse out the consensus on the historical setting we would all be like, okay, it seems fair to suggest that Noah is far, far, far inland from any major body of water. And God is speaking to him, appealing to Noah. I am going to flood this place with water. I'm going to save you by building an ark. Again, ridiculous. But notice... Noah's move. No, notice, notice what happens in the text. And this is what the apostle is driving at. I know situations and circumstances seem impenetrable. I know it's sticky. I know it's tricky to mine out. I know that you're maneuvering through a difficult, difficult circumstance and set of, of, of a, a difficult context. But look at Noah. 
he heard the word of the Lord. And look what occurred. Verse 7. Hearing these, what would seem on face value, ridiculous claims, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He did it. He acted. Here we would take from the word of the Lord coming to Noah, intellectually being made aware of the content of God's word. Here are these next two pieces, right? Ascent and trust. Noah was persuaded that these unseen realities were as good as performed. His his mind was so persuaded. How do we know that? He started ripping down trees to build an ark. He was persuaded. He not only was persuaded, he then preached it to those who couldn't care any less, but to also, on the positive side, mock and marginalize. He was persuaded. Well, it must have been easier. You can't defend that from the text. It's not as tricky as my climate. You can't persuade me of that. He was convinced that what God did say, he also would perform. And so he started ripping down trees and building an ark. And we all say, I don't know how that's possible. I don't either. But by faith. We receive it. He acted. So we would say the second element there of assent. Indeed, he was persuaded. We have evidence in the text. He heard and was so assured that God would do it. And then it moves to this category, which I would appeal to each one of our own hearts to instruct in the way of trust. At the heart and the will, embrace that evidence and so act on it in expressions of obedience. This is what we see in Noah. He was so persuaded in the preaching of God's word that it, God spoke to Noah. Well, that, there, there is the difference. God spoke immediately to Noah. That is much more powerful than God speaking immediately to me through the word. It isn't, Peter would say, we have even a more sure content than they did. Here is Noah in the land of shadows. Here is the church at Redeemer in the land of reality. Shadow has given way to substance. We have everything necessary to hear the word of the Lord in the mind, to be persuaded in the heart that that persuasion would find expression in acts and lives of obedience. We have everything that is necessary. The Spirit has taken up residence within The law that was outside of us is now written within us. So then Noah acted. The expression, you you consider by faith Noah did these things. Noah looked out, as it were, in a very dry place. He heard this unimaginable word of God. And when Noah, by hearing the word from the Lord, was so persuaded... He opened his eyes and he saw a body of water. 
while it was yet unseen. That is the portrait of the work of God through the Spirit in the hearts of his people. They are utterly convinced that what he says, so also will he perform. So then he did perform it. Look at the final piece then for this morning is the reward of Noah's faith. It is here, the reward, the outcome, the experience that Noah had by faith, looking out on a dry and dusty land, yet Noah, he saw a body of water as though it was already there. And the reward that was returned upon Noah's head, look at verse 7 as we conclude with Noah, the biblical portrait of a man of faith. By this, this action of building to save his household, just as God had said, by this, he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Don't you love how that text is set up there? It begins with by faith. And it ends with by faith. Driving home to each of us. The critical and crucial role that faith does play in our lives. The reward for Noah, quite simply, was the experience of the reliability and trustworthiness of God. That was his reward. God proved to Noah that he was utterly trustworthy. And that was a rich, rich reward. He explains it specifically, God saved Noah's household just as he promised. Are you wavering? Is your faith in need of endurance? Look at the man of Noah. God saved his family just as he promised. That was seen. No, the text says it was yet unseen. And God proved to be utterly reliable. God condemned the wicked precisely as he had warned. There's Noah preaching and proclaiming a word of righteousness and boldness. And was he left hanging out on a limb as some hocus-pocus story in the sky that never actually occurred? God acted and performed precisely as Noah had proclaimed. The final provision to Noah as a reward of his faith was that God had provided and Noah inherited the righteousness of Christ. In sum, I would encourage you this morning, meditating on this text, that what God does say to you, His Word, provision, promises, warnings, consolations, encouragements, admonitions, What God does say. I know it seems hard to hear. I know it seems hard to accept. So does the apostle. That's why he drives you to historical examples. Wherein they too found it hard to see. Hard to hear. But triumph was had. So it is 
what God does say, so also does he perform. What he has said, so also will he perform. 